What's going on, everyone? It's Greg Williams and Shakia Sykes. Welcome to the Grier Project podcast series. Now, you're probably like, Greg, what does Grier mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's five different letters that mean five different things. Gender, race, inclusion, equity, and allyship. Right, Shaq? Right. It's a podcast series that centers on celebrating diversity within New York City Department of Social Services, Human Resources Administration, and the Department of Homeless Services. We'll spotlight cutting-edge DEI practices and broaden listeners' perspectives on current DEI issues. Are you ready, Shaq? I'm ready. Okay, let's get it. Welcome, everyone, to the Grier Project Podcast. I'm Shakia Sykes. And I'm Greg Williams. Let's see how this goes. Okay, let's bring it in. The topic for today's episode is the power of persuasion, featuring Maite Carvalho, author of Persuasion, How to Use Rhetoric and Persuasive Communication in Your Personal and Professional Life. Chuck was like like reading it over and over again. Leave me alone, Greg. I'm going to keep these bloopers in. Listen, (laughs) I mean, it's my day. You see how we get down, don't we? (laughs) We we just start off with a bang and we just, we're not letting up. How you doing, girl? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Greg. Shaq, it's really nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So let's get into the episode. Let's jump right in. So, The main point for today is, you know, working in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging spaces requires individuals to be encouraged, embraced, and empowered. Presenting persuasive justifications for individuals to be open-minded and accepting is not easy, and it requires communication and strategy. Organizations and DEI offices have to ask themselves, what are we doing to persuade others to be open-minded? So my first question for you today is, can you describe what a persuasive pitch is to our audience? Sure. So a persuasive pitch uh, is your ability to influence others, basically. You know, a pitch is any type of, you know, narrative that is a, has a specific objective of convincing someone. It's not just like, uh, you know, a celebration speech or, you have an agenda you want someone to be convinced of an idea or a project or you know uh, like you were mentioning like d and i like you have to persuade why we should care and so many times you can use different arguments to sustain that the uh, persuasion per se started back in uh fifth before christ mm-hmm. with aristotle which is considered the father of rhetoric and here i'm gonna use rhetoric as persuasion because rhetoric was uh, the art and science of convincing others in a very structured way and the reason why it it came out in the first place like fifth before christ was because the ability to convince rhetoric and persuasion they begun uh, at the same time as democracy began because your ability to convince others of your projects back in you know Athens and Greece what's, was the very birth of democracy itself, your ability to convince someone to vote for you or your project. So whoever was able to go to the public square and convince the audience was successful. So our ability to convince others is 
a political virtue mm -hmm. that began back in fifth before Christ, but until nowadays, it's very relevant, not only on a political sphere and dimension, but also on our microcosm of, you know, convincing your husband to order sushi and not pizza, conv convincing your kid to do the homework in order so they can, you know, go play with their friends or whatever. We persuade every day and we are persuaded by others. So it's a dynamic uh, that we don't even realize so many times because we're so used to it. It's our, you know, communication skills. So basically being persuasive means being able to express your ideas in a compelling way so others can see why it's relevant the way you see it. I, I don't see this as a win-lose situation. There was a lot of literature in the 90s, mostly like business literature that portrayed persuasion as this win-lose game where, you know, um, 48 laws of power or whatever, like I'm going to seduce you and convince you to do something that you don't want to do. I don't believe in that. I believe uh, it's just the ability of being empathetic enough to uh, transform your ideas into something tangible so others can see the beauty of what you see in it as well. Thank you. This, you gave us a whole history lesson. <laughs> I well, back that. in there with yeah. Aristotle. Yes. I was, you gave listen, us. I'm sitting here thinking about the movie 300 now. Yeah, we. The United States was like, this is Spartan. There is no persuasion. But to be fair, <laughs> This is Spartan, and they threw them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't do that in DEI today. I have, I have actually a recommendation of a series on Netflix. It just started. It's called Alexander, and also the movie Alexander, mm -hmm. because Alexander was a mentee of um, Aristotle, and the main reason why he became Alexander the Great was because Aristotle taught him how to be very persuasive, because he persuaded a whole army to fight for a country that didn't even exist because it was Macedonia and not Greece. Mm -hmm. He was not paying anyone. So it's like one of those freelancers where it's like, oh, it's going to give you a good portfolio. <laughs> it's going to bring you awareness to your work. Like none of those soldiers were getting paid to be there. And the other ones were. Yeah. So Alexander was very persuasive and he was taught by the master, you know, Aristotle. And that's why he became the leader you know, he became because of his ability to influence others. That's it's so on awesome. Netflix, just launch it. You're giving time. us a Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so you can learn yeah. and also like yeah. somehow be entertained. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely going to watch. You, you have such a wealth of information. That's why, you know, that's why we should go out and get her book. <laughs> Just adding that in. Yeah, you can find uh, it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Oh, yes. oh, we're going to talk it's about important. the book later on now. <laughs> so persuasion is, it's important. It's important in our everyday lives, like you mentioned. And it's important in the work that um, we all do. Uh, it's so important that it's a general requirement, like for public speaking, public speaking classes. We have to do, I know I remember from college a very long, long time ago, we did um, persuasion speeches, informational, and I think celebratory. Celebratory. Yeah. Um, but the um, persuasive part of it was my favorite because it's like you're trying to convince people and get them on board with things. And that's why I love my job so much. We're trying to like persuade people to, um, you know, get on board with DEI initiatives, learn more um about DEI so can you tell us what critical persuasive argument points can be used to motivate employees to adopt DEIB principles 
awesome question. Um, you were mentioning the three different types of speech, which was also um, created by Aristotle. And he also said one thing that we can use nowadays. If you want to convince someone, so ask, answering to your question, how we could convince people to care and you know implement DNA practices, you can navigate towards uh, three principles, which is ethos, pathos, and logos. Ethos being credibility, pathos, passion, like emotions, and logos, the reason to believe, like logical proof, uh, numbers, uh, research, uh, articles, like papers, uh, anything in the realm of logical reasoning. And he says, ethos is like your your um, ability to like promote your values and your credibility. Like, why should I trust you? Are you someone that is worth my trust? Mm -hmm. So it's ethos is basically the, your track record, your history. Like, you know, if someone is like promoting, um, giving a public speak about DNI and like, okay, so how many years of experience do you have in this sector? Like, uh, which, which kind of projects have you led? like basically job interviews you're yeah. testing ethos all the time and when you're like representing like a company you're also uh attaching your personal ethos to the company's mm -hmm. ethos as itself so if you're pitching that okay what can i bring to the table to prove that we're not just like all talk and no walk like what have we done to address this in the past in our credo somehow so this is ethos you should address that on your speech pathos is like the emotional aspect of it and people tend to sometimes belittle that and think like oh no data overall and just numbers and reason but according to aristotle like if you don't if you're not able to touch hearts you know you can bring all the data and you can have a trustworthy ethos that i'm just not gonna buy what you're saying and last but not least like okay what are the key performance indicators that you can bring like harvard uh studies or like oh there was this research that was conducted by a company and they it showed like engagement and retention with employees improved into 40 percent all those combined ethos pathos and logos will help you to persuade someone to why they should care and i'm not just saying in a, a very uh Oh, an intangible way, like big presentations. No, I mean it. Like I use ethos, pathos, and logos, like writing emails, or like LinkedIn posts, Instagram uh, stories. Like when I'm trying to promote an idea, and I think to myself, hmm, what, what, how can I cover this and tackle mm -hmm. into credibility, emotions, and also reason? Oh wow, I never thought it fit that way. Yeah. Is everybody listening? Using checklist? Yeah, yeah, checklist. <laughs> ethos, pathos, and logos when it comes to, you know, creating emails and uh, on social media. Those are very good points. And I think this is going to be so useful for a lot of people. And that explains why Greg is always bragging about himself. He's doing <laughs> ethos. He's using ethos. That makes sense. Well, to be fair, like with this ethos, I would too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. AKA unicorn, <laughs> AKA sprinkles. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you. Thanks.
So, you know, with all this great information and these great tips, you know, you put this all together and it takes a lot of confidence uh, to do this and to be able to speak up around DEI and do these like persuasive discussions. So how do you gain confidence, gain the confidence to get the attention of others in spaces where you feel invisible? Have you ever felt invisible? Oh, yeah. And how do you get the confidence <laughs> yeah. to get those folks attention? I loved your question because there's this quote from Joseph Campbell and he's like, my dude. <laughs> that says uh, the privilege of a lifetime is just being who you are. And every time I feel like invisible or somehow hesitating, lack of confidence, I think of this quote and also another quote from Michelle Obama that says, you know, she she wrote on her biography that she became, you know, um, uh, what's, what's the name in English? Sorry guys, but when you're married to the president, First, first lady, lady. lady. sorry. <laughs> she became first lady and she was kind of uh, scared because she said, oh my God, I'm going to meet all those ministers and presidents of countries and like very important people. And she wrote, you know what? They're not that smart. Like I've been at the most impressive and powerful tables you can think of. You're not that smart. So like every time I hesitate, I think of that. And also third tip, it's like, transform your vulnerabilities into superpowers like for example when i moved here i'm from brazil like i moved here like four years ago and um to work in an advertising agency which is my primary background like i'm a writer but i'm also i work with communications per se in a more like um you know marketing way and i remember thinking oh my god i had i i don't have the same background as my peers because they were born and raised here and they know the inside jokes and they know how Iowa calculus work and they know, you know, maybe don't, but like <laughs> they have more understanding of American culture than I do. And this is something that I cannot change. And then I switch it and, you know, had this plot shift in my mind of like, yes, but I have a more global perspective because I'm not from here. So I don't have this bias of US centric point of view. So anytime we had to do global campaigns, they would reach out to me because they're like, do you think this will resonate with Colombia? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, this is actually my superpower because I have a fresh perspective. And this is also legit when you're like switching careers, like you feel like an imposter. Oh, they know better than I do because they studied at this XYZ institution and they have MBAs. No, but because you don't have that, you know, formative type of thinking, you can bring something different to the table. And I think like this ability of like shifting narratives is something that will somehow propel you to move forward on your life and career. Because if you see it as a flaw, it will be a flaw. But if you, if you see it as a superpower, you know, and something that is unique, unique, like, or even like, we're talking about DNI, so like, I know a lot of uh, Latinos and and Latinas, Latinx people that are you know you know embarrassed of their accent, for example, and that's something that you should own it. Like it's yeah. your identity, and it's what makes you cool. You know, mm -hmm. like, but it's how you perceive that. So I would say, um, transform your vulnerabilities into superpowers, 
remember they're not that smart and the privilege of a lifetime is being who you are oh that's so awesome transform <laughs> your vulnerabilities into superpowers yeah that is amazing greg what's your superpower oh you already know what my superpower is once i once i talk to you it's like being hypnotized what? I'm like, uh, no i'm like i'm like the modern that, day male siren uh -huh. <laughs> no <laughs> that's that's not that it is. okay anyway it's my turn to take over all right can so, I just add something real quick yeah. that I forgot? There's also this motto that I say on my book and all my lectures that it's like so many times we behave in life as if we're seeking for validation. So like the main reason why we act like hesitating mm -hmm. is because we're seeking for validation, you know, like at our jobs, first dates, you know, will they like me? Will they approve me? You know, I hope he likes me. I hope she likes me. And I always say, like, think to yourself. I hope I like them. I hope I like this company mm -hmm. and their culture and ethos matches my values. Otherwise, I don't want to work there. Even if you're like on, you know, red zone of your credit mm -hmm. and like you need, you have bills to pay, like just own that mentality and portray as if you're also choosing and not just being chosen. That will help you to gain more confidence, like not only in like job interviews or like presentations, but even like dating. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, like, I hope I like them. <laughs> yeah, that is so helpful. That's going to be helpful for a lot of people listening. Those and it's not arrogance, it's just symmetry. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. To speak more to that point, when I think about, you know, everything that you run down and everything that your book encompasses, I have to say that, and this is where I'm taking your vulnerabilities and making them your superpower, especially with individuals who might be neurodivergent. Um, good friend of mine, Stephen McCoy, shout out Stephen McCoy, world's first deafblind black journalist. Um, he talked about how he uses that as a source of strength. And my thing is, yeah, I made a, a reference to me like being a, a male siren and using my voice bigger than my voice are my actions so i always say that people's actions are their voice mm -hmm. and it doesn't take for the loudest voice in the room to make the biggest impact so all of that comes to meaningful change i think at the end of the day mastering the art of persuasion is to make sure that you're creating meaningful change so i really want to know your your take on meaningful change i mean they encompass the 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 word you know, goal for us, meaningful change. If I can shift culture, if I can shift how people act within the workplace, that is a goal that is met. So I want to throw some numbers at you. When it comes to the focus of their own employer, and this is according to Pew Research, when it comes to the focus of their own employer, 54% of workers say their company or organization pays about the right amount of attention to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Why do you think that number is so low at 54%? Or do you think that's a regular number, you know, for today's age? Uh, no, I don't think it's a regular number. I feel like, because um, this number says about like perception, right? And it circles back to what you were saying. Your actions, they will speak louder than your words so many times. So if employees are only saying like, yeah, maybe they pay attention, maybe not, it's because the actions are not matching the words because perception is when they match. Oh, you walk the talk. 
you say XYZ and you do XYZ. And when you just say XYZ, but it, you just don't do it, or you do it in a very, um, you know, superficial way, people will perceive that as not true or maybe um, a less effort than act what you're actually doing. So I would assume that comes out of like saying but not doing it, which, you know, happens not, not in the United States, but I mean, that's not like it is. Not, not, it all over. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, not in my family. Yeah. So, so why do you feel, you know, that number can, you know, easily actions speak louder than words? What do you feel attributes to that? Do you think it's like a company just saying, hey, let's check the box or a company saying, hey, you know, we're going to invest in it just to you know, meet the metrics, like what, yeah. what have you seen in your experience? In my experience, and this is my empirical experience personally, um, there is, there is a, a will that is genuine, but there is a lack of, um, tr you know, transferring this will into an executionable plan, mostly when it comes to like, um, the CFO questioning ROI wise, why this should matter or why should we implement that? And that's why I've seen a lot of folks in the realm of DNI like aiming to bring tangible like uh, metrics to be like, uh, like retention for HR or climate or, you know, attract tier one talents or just bring more revenue in general because you have diverse opinions in your you know, a business to consumer kind of company. In my opinion, there's where's the gap like between the intentions and the actual executionable plan. And so many times, and I can say that from my experience at advertising, they will create a department, a DNI department, and check the campaign when it's already developed and be like, hey, would you be a sensitivity reader for this and see if it's okay? Do you think like we're running this campaign for September, which is like the Hispanic Heritage Month? And because, you know, you guys are Latinx, like, would you check? And then you see it, but it's already done. <laughs> Nobody consulted you during the process itself. It was created by a bunch of white male guys. And then they checked on us as if like some focus group, but it was already reduced it was already finished so like why don't you bring us to the conversation i work at the same agency <laughs> the yeah. same department like you guys are paying me to be here like just optimize it you know like i feel there's also a lack of understanding of dni in a very horizontal and transversal way people just see it as a silo department and then they will reach out eventually but not you know integrate into the organizational culture and ecosystem and processes. Yeah. So let me ask you this. And this is my personal no, opinion. No, no. Based no, on my personal experience. Yeah, no, yeah. no. And, and, I, and I really feel like, you know, the work that Shaq and I do and where, you know, I'm going to tell our home, we're award-winning DEI department. I'm going to keep on saying it like <laughs> it is. It is what yes. it is. Um, I feel like what helps us to move the needle is integrating with different departments 
you know, DEI can't be reactionary. That is that is where you're losing. Yeah. You right. are just there to have a department and be like, well, we got one. Yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs yeah. down. Yeah, thumbs yeah. up, thumbs down. Check your castle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah it's, it's not going to work. You really have to. And even Shaq and I, from day one, we go to the employee orientation. We're there with the flyers. We're there for the heritage events. We're there for our own workshops. So it's all about shifting that culture. So I want to ask you, what are, I want, let me go back before I ask this question because you brought up something about metrics and I love numbers and Shaq loves numbers too. Like what are the right metrics and what are the right tangible, maybe not right because there are no right. It's really what your organization wants. But what are the metrics that organizations should be using to really measure their DEI efforts or what are the tangible, you know, assets or actions that are going on that, you know, we should be looking at? I love this question. It's a million dollar question. Mm -hmm. But uh, in my opinion, of course, it differs from different categories and segments. I mean, if you're into the, let's say, fashion industry and your company that one measures, you have to check your like supply chain. Like, conditions of working and like track it and make sure like you know there's different nuances attached to it or like if you're oil and gas like you should really take climate seriously on your esg uh trifecta like not just like as a component no like let's so address this <laughs> okay oh. all of the above, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> Because you're talking about like uh, government, it, it, I love this because, you know, uh, shareholder versus stakeholder economy, like government is the definition of like the shareholder economy per se, because you have to address different sectors of society, actors and agendas. And, you know, uh, so it's a very broad mm -hmm. spectrum of uh, sustainability, <laughs> governance, and environmental issues. But I would focus um, on numbers that would show like microcosms separating from macro, like actions that you did in like in specific community or demographics, like this yeah. type of community in the past five, 10, 15 years, because we know the Delta has to be like longer than just like quarters. It's not like Unilever, it's the government. Um, how much it changed when it comes to uh, human development, uh, scolarity rates, like, you know, having access to education, having access to, in some countries like Brazil, having access to water and like stuff like that. like depending on the stage of the country and the government uh, stage you should address even basic conditions of like living as part of a DNI you know program so i'm not sure i answered your question oh no, no, no this I, is great this no, is great listen our whole thing is we have a whole lot of sister government agencies that we work with and uh yeah hopefully this is this is you went from giving us a history lesson to, to uh, 
econ lesson now. <laughs> this is so awesome. So we are learning. Tie it back into the book. What? Is, so I mean, listen. Vote for me, guys. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so let me ask you, and then I'm gonna hand it off to Shaq. But you know, we want to segue into what really possessed you to write. You know, the power of persuasion. I mean, how, persuasion. How to use rhetoric and persuasive communication in your personal and professional life. What possessed you to write that book? What life event? Was it somebody that just talked to you the wrong way and you was like, mm, I'm gonna start writing this today? I'm a professor of the subject. Like I work in advertising, but I also teach. Uh, and I'm also a fellow researcher at Berkeley Global Society. So I am part of the academic uh, world, let's say it. And Every time I taught my students, they were so bored by Aristotle. They were like, when you, when you talk about it, I'm fascinated. When I read his book, I'm annoyed. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to write a book that is really digestible and transform this complex uh, you know, concept into something accessible. So my students will read it and then I can have a better starting point at my classes. That's why I wrote the book. And then it became a best-selling book in Brazil. Like we sold over 50,000 copies. Uh, I wrote a second book in Brazil. I launched this book here two years ago, first uh, in Los Angeles, the West Coast, and last year here. So you can find the book at Barnes & Noble and also Amazon. The, the Barnes & Noble, they're still, they're, they're still, still running. Yeah. Yes. There's a few yes. here and there, but you know, they're there. And I also, uh, I'm a public speaker about the subject. So, you know, I give corporate trainings about it. And also like, because here it was more in a broader sense, but so many times companies will reach out to me and be like, train my workforce so they can be more persuasive because I have a whole sales and biz dev team that needs to master those techniques. And I do this not only in the US, but in Brazil as well. And Next May, I'll be launching the book in Europe, in Lisbon. So I'm really excited. Yes. World domination, one step at a time. <laughs> yeah, yes. That, and, and I think this is um, very much needed um, because, like I said, it's like in our everyday work environment, we all need to, you know, the power of persuasion, like understand it and just do it when it comes to the work we're doing. And, and it's in every, it shows up in every aspect of our lives. So I appreciate the book. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So did you have any final words for the city employees? <laughs> um, anything, you know? Well, first of all, I would like to thank them <laughs> as a resident <laughs> because you know, I don't, I don't think so, so many times like we took stuff for granted, but as an immigrant, we see stuff that are just different. And then you can see how oh, someone was thinking different and doing this differently in a backstage way. Then when you lived in other cities, yeah. you can compare. So first of all, just thank you. And also, um, don't let the notion and the idea of oh, this is too big, this is too complicated, mm -hmm. this is, you know, something impossible, contaminate you with the thinking that is actually possible to be an agent of transformation. Like yeah. your micro actions, they count and collectively they will resonate and make a difference. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so inspiring. <laughs>
This is awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. Did oh, you, of, yeah, of course, he has to get up, the last she, word. No, no, she opened mm -hmm. up so yep, much. Yep, good. I, I might, we might have to just keep this going. <laughs> no, my thing, uh-uh, because something that, so, you have a great day. Yes. Right? So, my thing is there is always a power in a story. Just real quickly, like, what is your story in five minutes? You could just push it out there because there might be somebody that immigrated here as well and for people that stay you know grounded in dei there is power and challenges and tribulations what's your story real quick and what have you just overcome to get you to this point because you you're a whole academia professional i not, that's not me <laughs> so I, I gave up a lot of privilege in my home country to be here because i was already established in my career and profession uh to an extent where you know, I had access, influence, money, power, like, but I just felt that my message needed to be spreaded uh, across other places, not out of vanity or ego, but because it was a calling that I had to answer. So when I first moved here, I cried for six months in a row thinking like, what am I doing here? Oh, wow. <laughs> like wh literally why? Because it's not that I gave up on nothing. Like mm -hmm. I had established career and I had like, you know, best-selling book, <laughs> you know, can you, it's, it was just like, even my friends and family were questioning me. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And for me, it was clear from day one that it was just a calling that I had to answer. And within time, I slowly um, presented my message here and there. I got a book deal here and then distribution of the book and then got invited for uh, gigs mm -hmm. like the one you invited me. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, even Shelly from Female Quotient read my book and wrote the, the foreword. And, and introduced me to a lot of people saying you guys gotta meet her she has a very powerful message so it was very humbling for me to move here and restart from zero basically not mastering the language speaking like broken english and just you know not having a rolodex or a network but my sense of uh, mission was just bigger and that's my story. Like if you left comfort where you were, any level of comfort uh, in comfort means having a network you can count on, having a family you can count on, having, you know, uh, a community that you can count on to move here because you had bigger dreams and ambitions. Just trust the process because everything will fall into place. Uh, even, you know, it's it, it hard. You don't have a social security to begin with. You don't have credit. You don't have nothing. You're trying to find places. Nobody will allow you. You know, it's kind of um, miserable in the beginning. But one thing I can say about this country, and I mean New York mostly compared to LA, there is a sense of reciprocity. If you give it, if you give yourself entirely it will get back to you and i feel like that i've been receiving a lot and that's through the plants you know the seeds that i have planted in the past so i would just say don't give up you know you'll cry 
you have like ups and downs so many times you will get lost in translation due to cultural you know uh issues mm -hmm. and just like different mo's and it's just fine like own who you are and present yourself uh wholeheartedly that eventually uh the universe will send the right people like he sent Greg my way yeah. you know and you will find uh, a way to make your message eco oh that's so awesome the thing is like we met at the female quotient big shout out to Shelly Downs and Amber Amber's the best oh my gosh boy. Yeah. oh my gosh we had her on our show as well but we met last year and we spoke at our department of social services uh, women's history celebration you've been going for a minute now you back now you're on the award-winning Briar Project podcast, and we just gonna keep making magic sauce because that's what we do. Now, no, for real, Shaq, now you. I just want everybody in my business. I feel like you just ended it. Uh, you know, I I love that you um talked about stepping out of your comfort zone for your passion. Uh, that is so motivating for some folks, and you know, the universe will give back to you, like you said to to you know give back to you as things will fall in place that is so motivating for some folks i like to try to step out my comfort zone maybe like i don't take a big step i take little steps but i do it so that was so great for me to hear and for so many others so i want to thank you for thank being you. here this was a great discussion folks are going to love it i know they are um, especially at work um, thank you for joining thank us you. on the Grya Project. Wait, wait, Shaq. What? To ask the most what, what is the question, Greg? What's your website? <laughs> Where do we find you at? Hey, Sorry. Hey. So, follow me on Insta. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be DMing her. <laughs> at M A Y T E C A R V A L H O S. And then my website is maitecarvalho.com. And over there you can find you know all the links and everything <laughs> thank you you know i had that i was going to ask that question but you wanted to add tax stuff to the end nope. <laughs> but thank you greg for reminding me all right so yeah let's keep yeah. in touch yes <laughs> but the Grier project podcast series is produced by the new york city department of social services Human Resources Administration, and Department of Homeless Services. You can find us on the web at www.nyc.gov backslash DSS.